From New York, this is Democracy Now! A Palestinian child screams out, we did nothing wrong, we did nothing wrong, as Israel bombs the Jabalia refugee camp for a third day in a row, this time hitting a school run by UNRWA, the UN agency for Palestinian refugees. Over 195 Palestinians have been killed in the refugee camp in a series of devastating Israeli airstrikes that the UN says could amount to war crimes. We'll get the latest as the overall death toll from Israel's 27-day bombardment has topped 9,000. Then, an exclusive radio-TV broadcast interview with the acclaimed writer Tanahasi Coates on how a recent trip to the occupied West Bank opened his eyes. And what I felt was a tremendous weight. I felt the obvious thing that I think all of us feel, that our tax dollars are effectively subsidizing apartheid, subsidizing a segregationist order, a Jim Crow regime. But I also felt that as an African-American who was reared on the fight against Jim Crow, against white supremacy, against apartheid, I, I, I felt tremendous shame. How could I not know? All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Officials in Gaza say Israeli airstrikes have killed at least 195 Palestinians in the Jabalia refugee camp since Tuesday. 120 Palestinians are reported missing and feared to be buried under the rubble from three days of strikes, which leveled entire blocks of residential buildings inside Gaza's largest refugee camp. Earlier today, Israel bombed a school at the refugee camp run by UNRWA. The U.N. Human Rights Office said in a statement, quote, we have serious concerns that these are disproportionate attacks that could amount to war crimes. One resident of Jabalia, Abdel Karim Rayan, said the Israeli airstrikes killed 15 members of his family. I lost my whole family, 15 of them. They were innocent, just staying in the camp. What wrong did they do? All of them were killed. My sister's house with her children, my brother's house with his children, all of my siblings. No one left but me and my younger brother. Fifteen people. These are their names. They are innocent and kind. It's literally a massacre. On Wednesday, Gaza's only cancer treatment center, the Turkish-Palestinian Friendship Hospital, was forced to close due to lack of fuel. An Israeli airstrike damaged the hospital's third floor earlier this week. The Indonesian hospital reports it's running on a backup generator with limited power. Egyptian ambulances have taken out 80 critically ill patients from Gaza through the Rafah border crossing. Hundreds of foreigners and dual nationals are also hoping to leave Gaza at Rafa, it's expected thousands will be able to go out of the crossing in the next few days. Meanwhile, Israeli troops and tanks are pushing deeper into Gaza. Israel says 18 of its soldiers have died since it's launched a ground invasion of Gaza Friday. Health officials in Gaza say over 9,000 Palestinians have been killed during Israel's 27-day bombardment. 
President Biden's publicly voiced support for a humanitarian pause to Israel's assault in Gaza for the first time. Biden's comment came during a campaign fundraiser in Minneapolis after a local rabbi named Jessica Rosenberg of Jewish Voice for Peace interrupted his speech to donors. Mr. President, if oh my you care God. about Jewish people as a rabbi, I need you to call for a ceasefire right now. Moments after she called for a ceasefire, moments after that exchange with the rabbi, President Biden said he supported a pause to the fighting. A pause? Yes, a pause. What is a pause? Yeah. Okay. Pause means give time, give the prisoners out. Give yes. time. Yeah. President Biden did not meet with any Muslim leaders during his visit to Minneapolis. Instead, the Minnesota chapter of CARE—that's the Council on American-Islamic Relations—held peaceful protests, demanding an immediate ceasefire. This week, a poll by the Arab American Institute showed support for Biden among Arab Americans has cratered, down from 59 percent three years ago to just 17 percent in October. Meanwhile, in Rhode Island, peace activists hold a die-in protest inside a local office of Democratic Senator Jack Reed. The protesters were urging Reed to vote against sending an additional $14 billion to Israel. As a senior member of Congress and a key position of power over the U.S.'s military spending, Senator Reid has played an influential role in upholding our government's support for the systematic and decades-long oppression of Palestinians by the Israeli state. Hello. We are here to say no more and to condemn in no uncertain terms Senator Reid's complicity in the provision of billions of dollars of U.S. aid and arms to Israel's genocide of the Palestinian people. Jordan has recalled its ambassador to Israel. In a statement, Jordan's foreign ministry condemned the, quote, ongoing Israeli war that's killing innocent people in Gaza and causing an unprecedented humanitarian catastrophe. Jordan's move came ahead of Secretary of State Antony Blinken's departure for the Middle East today. Blinken will meet in Tel Aviv with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and other Israeli officials Friday before heading to Jordan, where the State Department says he'll discuss ways to reduce regional tensions. Lebanese media is reporting two shepherds who'd been shot at by Israeli forces have been found dead of gunshot wounds when near Lebanon's southern border. The reported killings came as Israeli forces continue to trade cross-border fire with Lebanese armed group Hezbollah, which claimed Thursday it shot down an Israeli drone for the second time this week. Meanwhile, Iran's foreign minister warned Wednesday Israel's assault on the Gaza Strip could spark a wider regional war. He spoke during an official visit to the Turkish capital. If this war is not stopped immediately and the joint attacks by America and Israel against civilians, the women and children of Gaza, are not halted, then the consequences for those who are waging this war will be grave. Ukraine's commander-in-chief acknowledged Thursday a five-month-long counteroffensive has largely failed to recapture territory lost to Russia's invasion. General Valery Zaluzhny compared the impasse to battles during World War I, in which vast numbers of troops were killed, retaking small patches of territory and brutal trench warfare. His comments came as Ukraine's military reported Russian shells have fallen in nearly 120 settlements over the past day in some of the heaviest bombardment of the war. The U.N.'s Humanitarian Affairs Office reports more than 9,900 civilians have been killed since the start of Russia's invasion, an average of nearly 16 civilians killed every day. Ukraine is now the most heavily mined country in the world. 
told its government estimates a third of its territory is covered in mines and unexploded ordnance. On Capitol Hill, Republican senators have launched an effort to end a months-long blockade by their colleague, Republican Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, on hundreds of military nominations and promotions. Since July, he's blocked more than 370 confirmation votes to protest a Pentagon policy that covers the travel costs of employees forced to cross state lines to obtain an abortion. On Wednesday night, Republican senators repeatedly rose to sharply criticize Tuberville. This is South Carolina Senator Lindsey no matter where you believe it or not, Senator Turbeville, this is doing great damage to our military. I don't say that lightly. I've been trying to work with you for nine months. House lawmakers have rejected a resolution to expel New York Republican Congressmember George Santos over his litany of lies and alleged criminal behavior. Santos, if that's his real name, has admitted to fabricating his educational background, employment history and religion. He faces nearly two dozen federal charges, including wire fraud, money laundering and theft of public funds. This is New York Republican Congressmember Anthony Desposito. We have learned about countless lies, deceptions and 23 charges against Mr. Santos. It is in the best interest of the constituents of New York 3 and all Americans that he is expelled from the House of Representatives. Newly elected House Speaker Mike Johnson joined 181 other Republicans and 31 Democrats voting against expelling Santos. Maryland Democratic Senator, uh, Congress member Jamie Raskin wrote after the vote, quote, this would be a terrible precedent to set, expelling people who've not been convicted of a crime and without internal due process, unquote. Meanwhile, lawmakers have dropped a bid to censure the House's only Palestinian-American Congress member after she joined a nonviolent protest calling for a ceasefire in Gaza and accused Israel of carrying out a genocide. The resolution to censure Michigan Democrat Rashida Tlaib was brought by far-right Georgia Congress member Marjorie Taylor Greene, who accused Tlaib of anti-Semitic activity and insurrection. Congressmember Tlaib rejected the accusations, writing in a statement, quote, I will not be bullied, I will not be dehumanized, and I will not be silent, she said. Congressmember Marjorie Taylor Greene herself has repeatedly made racist, Islamophobic and anti-Semitic remarks. In 2018, she advanced a conspiracy theory about the Rothschild banking firm, a popular target of anti-Semitic tropes, suggesting it was connected to a plot to start wildfires in California using a space laser. In Oregon, more than 4,500 teachers and other employees at 81 Portland-area schools walked out on strike Wednesday after failing to reach an agreement on a new union contract, the union seeking higher wages, more time to plan lessons, and a limit to class size. It's the first-ever strike of Portland teachers. In other labor news, thousands of non-union pharmacists and technicians at CVS and Walgreens stores have launched a three-day walkout to demand the pharmacy chains hire more staff and improve working conditions. Organizers of the Wildcat Strike, which has been dubbed Farmageddon on social media, say the COVID-19 pandemic exacerbated workplace stress and high turnover with employees forced to work faster and with less help. And health care activist Adi Barkin 
has died at the age of 39 of the neurodegenerative disease ALS. After his diagnosis in 2016, Adi Barkin dedicated his life to the fight for single-payer health care. He continued to speak out even after ALS left him physically unable to talk, communicating with a computerized system that translated his eye movements into spoken words. In 2019, Adi used the device to deliver powerful opening remarks at the first-ever congressional hearing on Medicare for All. His story is told in the documentary Not Going Quietly. In 2021, I spoke with Adi Barkin just ahead of the film's premiere. Only a truly radical departure from our exploitative, for-profit model to one that guarantees health care as a right for all will ensure that we no longer live in a nation where people go bankrupt on account of their medical bills. A system that profits off of death and people foregoing medical care is a system that is beyond repair. We need Medicare for all now. To see our full interview with Adi Barkin, you can go to our website at democracynow.org. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. When we come back, we go to Gaza, where the death toll from Israel's 27-day bombardment has topped 9,000. Stay with us. Martini by the Gaza Youth Choir. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. And I'm Narmeen Sheikh. Welcome to our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. We turn now to Gaza. Palestinian child screams out, we did nothing wrong, we did nothing wrong, as Israel bombs the Jabalia refugee camp for a third day in a row, this time hitting a school run by UNRWA, the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees. At least 195 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza's largest refugee camp in a series of devastating Israeli airstrikes in recent days. The UN Human Rights Office said in a statement, quote, we have serious concerns that these are disproportionate attacks that could amount to war crimes. The overall death toll from Israel's 27-day bombardment has topped 9,000, including 3,700 children. UNICEF is warning children are paying the heaviest price in Gaza.
We go now to Khan Yunus, where we're joined by Fadi Abu Shamala. He is Just Vision's Outreach Associate in Gaza and the Executive Director of Gaza's General Union of Cultural Centers. His recent op-ed for The New York Times is headlined, What More Must the Children of Gaza Suffer? Fadi, if you can talk to us about the last few weeks through the eyes of your three children, Ali, 13, Karam, 10, and Adam, 5. Thank you so much, Emmanuel, for having me um, in this uh, interview in a very critical time. Where should I start from? From the the heavy airstrike and the shelling over all of Gaza Strip. Every single minute that we have been bombed, the numbers talked about ten thousand rockets have been launched over Gaza Strip. Uh, more than ten. That more than 12,000 of civilian uh, people have been killed. Um, um, hundreds of people, civilian people are still uh, under uh, rubbles and the civilian defense are not able to uh, rescue them and pull them out uh, from uh, under the uh, rubbles. Or should I talk about the entire neighborhoods that it's... Um, Flatten the road that is it's cut off the the uh, the water. The, the, the severe shortage of water, the severe shortage of food, fuel. We we don't have electricity for more than um, twenty days now or more. Um, the uh, I don't know to talk about the underwater shelters that it has around more more than half million of displaced people. Israel asked us to. The Gaza city and the north, because it's there, and they killed the people. They assassinated. They targeted the convey of cars where, uh, while they were traveling and evacuating to the south of Gaza Strip. Should I talk about the uh, a live video that's recorded by and um, broadcasted by a journalist, Palestinian local journalist. His name is Hassan Safi. He filmed and recorded a video while the tank launched and bumped a civilian car while they were uh, evacuating to uh, to the south. What should I talk about? That we don't have a bread, that we don't have water, we don't have fuel, nothing. We have only one thing, that we are being killed. There is, and of course, with the green lines, with the international community, with the, uh, the U.S. administration, this is the situation. People are scared. From what? For being killed. Really, we are, have, we are having now a second Nakba, if you know it. That the first one happened in, in 1948. We feel that it's another Nakba that we are going to, to go through it. The, the, most, the most horrible thing for us, that the officials, the Israeli officials say that, that we are human, bullet, human uh, animals, human animals, animals, humans, I don't, I don't remember exactly, like we are treating, treating treated like, like animals. You know what, what happened to animals? They slaughtered. So we are, we are, we are slaughtered now by the Israeli genocide government. This is what, what's, what's happening now. Like, like they, they now almost see very little. This is what is going on here. A genocide. 
real genocide and massacre. It's, it's, it's happening now. Like, like in previous wars, we used to have like 10% of a family is killed. Now, the whole building, the entire neighborhoods is bombed, flattened. It's happening in Jabalia for three days, in, in Nusayrat, in Khan city, in every single mid Gaza Strip cities. This is what, what is happening here now. I'm a father of three kids, as you had mentioned. They think that I'm a hero. I'm not. I'm scared exactly like this. I'm scared of the bombing. I'm scared of don't have of not having water. We were lucky that we have yesterday, uh, uh, for yesterday, drinking water. We have been without without drinking water for around a day. Like we don't have electricity here. Like we we are also lucky that we have two solar panels at the roof of the of my family. I'm evacuating, by the way. I'm originally stay, living in, in Gaza City, but I, I'm already evacuated to, to my parents. So I'm so lucky that I that my, my parents' home are living in Khan Yunus and Bidji's camp. Afadi, you can uh, imagine that millions, millions, millions already evacuated their homes. Yeah. Fadi, uh, you're speaking now, as you said, uh, the international community led uh, by the United States uh, has been supporting Israel uh, absolutely in its operation in Gaza. If you could say, what is your message to Americans uh, as Gaza is under this systemic, systematic uh, military assault that is ongoing, and you're describing the devastating conditions under which you and all these children, your own, of course, three children, but we've just said 3,700 children have been killed in Gaza. What is your message to Americans? I would say that I'm so, so, so proud of the hundred thousands of Americans who went to demonstrate for us. We are here in Gaza Strip. Believe, believe us, we are following the news and we feel like more comfortable when we watch in, in, in TVs like thousands and hundreds of thousands of American people who went to the streets to in order to support us, to, to express the sympathy and in solidarity with the Palestinian people here in Gaza Strip. That makes us more, more relaxed and comfortable that we are not alone, that there is a lot of people who they, they still have a live heart that's my message to you. Please keep going. We are listening to you. We are following you. I'm sure that they, no one can stop our, our voice. Our voice is for justice. Please keep going what you are, what you are doing now, because at the end, I'm sure that the U.S. administration will listen to you and stop or at least the green line that it's given to the Israeli uh, government of, of killing us. But please, this is your money. This is, this is, the, the, the taxes money that you are paying to the, um, the American uh, administration, it's used by buying bombs and rockets and provided it to government. We are being killed by your taxes now. Please say no to your um, administration. That's enough. This unlimited unlimited um, and ongoing support. The Israeli occupation are checking the humanitarian aid that's entered Gaza Strip. It's, it's a milk for kids. It's a medicine. It's, 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 it's white, white floor for making bread. So can you at least make double check this support by the, um, the American administration where it goes? 
what is what is what it's it's used for um um it, it it would be like our main priority for for you guys in the US i i i would say it again and i have mentioned it before that i was in the US in in march and i met tens of americans of people i was so lucky that i have met them in 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 in, in march and i saw that uh, people who have a live heart who um who are still have conscious and they believe in in, in justice uh, we are depending on these kind of people who can say the truth and they can tell the truth and they have the courage and they are brave enough to say to their um to their um, administration that stop of uh, standing with the uh to, with, with, with the massacres implemented for, with, with, with the occupation. It's not about Gaza. It's not, um, it's not a war between Israel and Hamas anymore. It's, it's, it's a war between the Israeli in, in the most strong, uh, forces in the Middle East against a civilian people. Like, like, like look at, at West Bank. They don't have Hamas there. How many one is killed since October 10? Seven. Sorry. This is, we are, as Palestinians, we are off of the double standards by the um, Eastern um, um, uh, international community. And um, we are talking, I'm talking about the politicians, about the governments, not the people, because we also followed um, the, 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 the great demonstration in the street in the uh, European uh, uh, Union. Hundreds, also hundreds of uh, thousands of people, also in London, like half million of uh, British people were um, in the streets. Come on, people all over the world know the truth. You can't hide it. It happened in the past that, that a lot of media were hiding the truth. But now we have social media, we have Zoom, we have WhatsApp, we have a lot of applications that people in Gaza and in Palestine that can use, and they, we can we, <laughs> we can keep telling the truth um, for what is uh, going on um, now here in Gaza. No one will stop us. We have a lot of English speakers. We will keep telling the truth loudly. We will not stop. We will keep speaking up until the international community will respect our willing and self-determination. And of, of course, stop the uh, the horrific genocide that it's 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 happening now. The numbers again, the numbers of the killed people, it's not the truth. Yeah, that's right. It's not the real numbers, of course, because we have a lot of missed people. We have a lot of killed people who are still under rubble. The, the rubble. Another horrific numbers, by the way. It's, it didn't happen before that the number of the injured people is double of the killed people. It's horrible. Like, like the, the, the bombing, it's, they meant to kill the people uh, while they are um, bombing the, the civilian, the, the civilian peoples here. You can see, of course, millions and billions of people over the TVs. They can watch. They can judge what is going on here. You can see, like, come on, it's the entire neighborhood, entire neighborhood. They bombed it, like, like, it's 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 crazy. Like, and of course, if, if Israel has no one to to tell them that they have to stop, they will keep killing us. And, and Fadi, I want to ask. Only, uh, 
Yes. I want to ask, Fadi, you, I mean, this, uh, these attacks are taking place uh, in response to the Hamas uh, attack on October 7th. Obviously, the, as you've said, it's a genocide that's taking place. But I want to ask you about the response that Israel has had to nonviolent resistance by Palestinians. You wrote in 2018 a piece called Why I March in Gaza. Explain what the response was of Israel to this nonviolent uh, resistance, the Great March of Return? Oh, that's authentic, Watson, by the way. Um, in fact, the Israeli population is very prevalent with killing the Palestinians, even if they are struggling with um, nonviolence, even if they are staying at their homes, even if they are in West Bank, for example, they, 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 they kept invading and invading um, uh, the the West Bank um, uh, cities and towns, and uh, they killed a lot of Palestinians there. And there is, by the way, like a couple of months ago or a few months ago, there is an American old old um, old, um, uh, old man. He had been detained under hard circumstances until he died. I mean, what the sixty-seven years old that man has done for the Israeli occupation, even. When Palestina, by the way, the nonviolence is struggling. It, it's, it didn't happen and started in the in, in, in 2018 in the what we have named and called a Great March. The Palestinians were creative in starting the nonviolence in the 1987 when the, the first and the father um, started. What happened there? Even so, the, the Israeli commission were killing us, arresting us. Um, shooting on us, demolishing homes. This is the policy of the 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 the, the uh, an apartheid country. That's that's the. <laughs> I, I, I'm so um, I'm so surprised sometimes when 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 someone um, I, I watch in, in TV that's like it's um, defending on the Israeli occupation. Like we did it in 2018. We were marching. I was there. I participated there, and I was I was I, I was one of the witnesses of 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 uh, the Greater Tel March. What happened? Snipers, they were, they were like glumbing. If you, you will shot the knee of the kids, I, I, I know many kids that they, they have been, their legs were amputated by the snipers. They killed more than 350 in that nonviolence um, 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 uh, resistance. And also, what happened by the U.S. administration at that time? I mean, this eliminate or. Well, I would love, of course, to 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 be stopped. So, whenever and whatever the Palestinians will do, we will. Um, I mean, Israel will keep uh, killing us. It started before 1948, and it will um, keep until they have the the support from the European with uh, the U.S. administrations. They will keep killing us until one day. The, the entire world will believe, like, those Palestinians. Fadi Abu Shamalo, we want to thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Fadi is Just Vision's outreach associate in Gaza, executive director of Gaza's General Union of Cultural Centers, speaking to us from Khan Yunus, which has also been bombed repeatedly. We'll link to your New York Times piece, What More Must the Children of Gaza Suffer? Coming up, the acclaimed writer Tanahasi Coates on a recent trip to the occupied West Bank and how it changed him. Stay with us.
Jordan with the hard times Tales from the dark side Evidence of the settlements on my hard drive Man, I swear my heart died at the end of that car ride When I saw that checkpoint, welcome to apartheid Soldiers wear military green at the checkpoint Automatic guns, that's machine at the checkpoint Tables not M16s at the checkpoint Fingers on the trigger, you'll get leaned at the checkpoint Little children going to adults and teens at the checkpoint All your papers better be clean at the checkpoint Gotta put your finger on the screen at the checkpoint And pray that red light turns green at the checkpoint And Martin Luther King had a dream at the checkpoint He wake with loud screams from the scenes at the checkpoint His mouth from X by any means at the checkpoint Imagine if your daily routine was the checkpoint And Martin Luther King had a dream at the checkpoint He wake with loud screams from the scenes at the checkpoint His mouth from X by any means at the checkpoint Imagine if your daily routine was the checkpoint Separation walls that surround in the checkpoint On top is barbed wire like a crown on the checkpoint Better have your permits if you found at the checkpoint Coming on the tower aiming down at the checkpoint Checkpoint by Jasiri X here on Democracy Now! DemocracyNow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. As pressure builds for a ceasefire after 27 days of Israel's bombardment of Gaza, we spend the rest of the hour with the acclaimed author and journalist Tanahasi Coates. This summer, he spoke at a literary festival in the West Bank that connected the Palestinian struggle with decolonization struggles around the world. In Ramallah, he opened his remarks with a comparison between the struggle of African Americans and Palestinians. In recent weeks, Coates joined dozens of other writers and artists in signing an open letter from participants in the Palestine Festival of Literature that was published in the New York Review of Books and called for, quote, the international community to commit to ending the catastrophe unfolding in Gaza and to finally pursuing a comprehensive and just solution, political solution in Palestine. Last night, Tanahasi Coates participated in another event hosted by organizers of the Palestine Festival of Literature, or PALFest, in the James Chapel at Union Theological Seminary here in New York City. It was called, But We Must Speak on Palestine and the Mandates of Conscience. Tanahasi is a recipient of a prestigious MacArthur Fellowship and the recipient of numerous prizes, including the National Book Award, for his book, Between the World and Me. We Were Eight Years in Power is another book, An American Tragedy, and his memoir, The Beautiful Struggle. His novel is titled The Water Dancer. In 2014, he wrote an award-winning cover story for The Atlantic magazine, headlined The Case for Reparations. Tanahasi, welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us under extremely difficult circumstances. Last night, this remarkable event almost didn't happen. I mean, it was in the James Chapel of Union Theological Seminary, but venue after venue had said no to this gathering. And without almost any publicity, well over a thousand people turned out, but the place only held 300. So people went over across the street to another place of 300 overcrowd, overthrow, and then thousands watched on the live video stream. Can you talk about your experience being in the West Bank, uh, going to the occupied territories, um, and how it changed you? Oh, wow. Um, I, I spent 10 days um, 
in Palestine, in the occupied territories, and in, in Israel proper. Um, I've had the great luxury over the past 10 years of seeing uh, a few countries. Uh, I have not spent more time or seen more of uh, another country or another territory than, than I did uh, this summer. Um, I think what shocked me the most was uh, in any sort of um, opinion piece or reported piece or, or whatever you want to call it that I've read uh, about Israel and about the conflict with the Palestinians, there's a word that comes up uh, all the time, and it is complexity. That and its uh, closely related uh, adjective, complicated. And so while I had my skepticisms and I had my suspicions of the Israeli government, of the occupation, um, what I expected was that I would find a situation in which it was hard to discern right from wrong. It was hard to understand the morality of play. Um, it was hard to understand the conflict. And perhaps the most shocking thing was uh, I immediately understood uh, what was going on over there. Probably the best example I, I, I can think of is, is, is the second day uh, when we went to Hebron. And, and, and the reality of the occupation uh, became clear. We were driving uh, out of East Jerusalem. I was with uh, the Palestinian, uh, the, was with Palfest. Um, and we were driving out of East Jerusalem uh, into the West Bank. And, you know, you could see the settlements and they would point out the settlement. And it suddenly dawned on me that I was in a region of the world where some people could vote and some people could not. And that was obviously very, very familiar to me. I got to Hebron and we got out as a group of writers and we were given a tour by our Palestinian guide. And we got to uh, a certain street and he said to us, I can't walk down this street. If you want to continue, you have to continue without me. And, and, and that was shocking to me. And we, we, we walked down the street and we came back and there was a, a market area. Uh, Hebron is very, very poor. It wasn't always very poor, but it, it's, it's very, very poor. It's a market area has been shut down. But there are a few vendors there that, that, that I wanted to support. And I was walking to try to get to the vendor and I was stopped at a checkpoint. Checkpoints all through the city. The checkpoints obviously all through the West Bank. Uh, your mobility is, is, is completely uh, inhibited, and the mobility of, of, of the Palestinians is totally inhibited. And I was walking to the checkpoint, and an Israeli uh, guard uh, stepped out, probably about the age of my son, and he said to me, what's your religion, bro? And I said, well, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really religious. And he said, come on, stop messing around. What is your religion? I said, I'm, I'm not playing. I'm not, I'm not really religious. And it became clear to me that unless I professed my religion and the right religion, I wasn't going to be allowed to walk forward. So he said, well, okay, so what was your parents' religion? I said, well, they weren't that religious either. He says, what were your, what are, what were your grandparents' religion? And I said, my grandmother was a Christian. And then he allowed me to pass. And it became very, very clear to me what was going on there. And I have to say, it, it, it was quite familiar. Again, I was in a territory where your mobility is inhibited, where your voting rights are inhibited, where your right to the water is inhibited, where your right to housing is inhibited, and it's all inhibited based on ethnicity. And that sounded extremely, extremely familiar to me. And so the most shocking thing about my time over there was how uncomplicated it actually is. 
Now, I'm not saying the details of it are not complicated. History is always complicated. Present events are always complicated. But the way this is reported in the Western media is as though one needs a PhD in Middle Eastern studies to understand the basic morality of holding a people in a situation in which they don't have basic rights, including the right that we treasure most, the franchise, the right to vote, and then declaring that state a democracy. It's actually not that hard to understand. It's actually quite familiar to those of us uh, with a familiarity to African with, uh, to African American history. Well, Tanahasi Coates, last night you were asked about the significance of Martin Luther King's words on Vietnam. You said it's taken you years to quote understand nonviolence as an ethic, and that you understood that ethic in Israel. Could you explain? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, and, I, and I think the thing to do is just to proceed off of, of, off of what I said. M Martin Luther King uh, dedicated his life to the fight against segregation. Israel is a segregated society. The occupied territories are segregated. The Jews segregated. It's not, you know, hard to understand. There are different signs for where different people can go. There are different license plates forbidding different people from going different places. Now, what the authorities will tell you is that this is a, a security measure. But if you go back to the history of Jim Crow in this country, they would tell you the exact same thing. People always have good reasons besides, you know, I hate you and I don't like you to justify their right for imposing an oppressive regime on other people. It's never quite that simple. And so that was the first thing. But, but the second thing I think that you're referring to is, you know, I, I you know, this is like really personal for me um, because I came up in a, in, a, in a time and in a place where um, I did not really understand the ethic of nonviolence, and by ethic I mean the notion that violence itself is corrupting, that it corrupts the soul. And I didn't quite understand that. If, 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 if I'm truly honest with you, um, as much as I saw my relationship with the Palestinian people there, and as much as it was clear what the relationship was, it was at the same time clear that there was some sort of relationship with the Israeli people too. And it wasn't one that I particularly enjoyed. Because I understood the rage that comes when you have a history of oppression. I understood the anger. I understood the sense of humiliation that comes when people subject you to uh, uh, just manifold oppression, to genocide, and people uh, uh, look away from that. I come from the descendants of 250 years of enslavement. I come from a people who uh, sexual violence and rape is marked in our very bones and in our DNA. And I understand how when you feel that the world has turned its back on you, how you can then turn your back on the ethics of the world. But I also understood how corrupting that can be. I was listening to uh, 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 actually my congressman <laughs> last night, uh, or I guess it was two nights ago, talk on the news. And, and, and um, a journalist asked him how many children, how many people must be killed to justify this operation. There are upper limit for the number of people that could be killed when you would say, this is just too much. This just doesn't, this just doesn't, you know, uh, uh, compute. This does not add up. And I have to tell you that congressman couldn't give a number. And I thought that man has been corrupted. That man has lost himself. He's lost himself in humiliation. He's lost himself in vengeance. He has lost himself in violence. I keep hearing this term repeated over and over again the right to self-defense. 
What about the right to dignity? What about the right to morality? What about the right to, to be able to sleep at night? Because what I know is if I was complicit, and I am complicit, in dropping bombs on children, and dropping bombs on refugee camps, no matter who's there, it would give me trouble sleeping at night. And I worry for the souls of people who can do this and can sleep at night. Let me ask you, ta <clears throat> last night, as I said at the beginning, I think Union Theological was the fifth place uh, that Powerfest had turned to for this event. Um, with I, I want to point out who was there. Among the speakers was you, you know, a MacArthur Genius Fellow, was Michelle Alexander, um, uh, the remarkable author um, and lawyer. Uh, Rashid Khalidi, a leading Palestinian-American scholar, Edward Said professor of Arab studies at Columbia University, and others. And you being at Union Theological, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King is known for that speech, Why Oppose the War in Vietnam, that he gave across the street at Riverside Church. But he started at Union Theological. So many people came, he had to go across the street for it. Um, but can you talk about this difficulty in speaking out? I mean, just last week, we spoke to Viet Thanh Nguyen, who is the Vietnamese-American Pulitzer Prize-winning author who was on a book tour for his latest memoir. And the 92nd Street Y, known at, now known as 92NY, canceled his conversation about his memoir because he had signed on to a letter, I think it was signed by 750 other people, calling for a ceasefire. The U.N. Secretary General has called for a Gaza ceasefire. Can you talk about what it means to break the sound barrier? And if you were nervous about coming out and speaking about Gaza, about the West Bank, even going to begin with, knowing what you would feel responsible for doing once you came out? Yeah, I wasn't just nervous. I was afraid. Um, I, you know, I, I, I hear people um, talk all the time about the, the, the how fearlessness is, is a necessary quality. And, and I have never had that. <laughs> I've never had that in my life. Um, and I certainly have never had that in my career. Um, I spent five days with Powerfest when I was over there. And then I spent another five days with a group of Israeli Jews um, and I knew that whatever I was going to see, it, it like I, I had a, a sentiment. I couldn't express it like I just expressed it for you right now because obviously I hadn't been. A, but I had a sentiment that what I was going to see was not going to be great. Um, and I know that a because of my upbringing, and I know that b because of my vocation as a journalist, you you, you can't behold evil and then return and not speak on it. And segregation is evil. There just is no, there's, there's no way for me as an African-American to come back and stand before you to witness segregation and not say anything about it. One of the hardest things um, was to come back and then to read the rhetoric of certain African-American politicians who are defending this regime. And, and I just, I, 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 I couldn't understand it. You know, I wanted to know if they had been to Hebron. You know, I, I wanted to know if they had been to Masafayada, if they had been to Susha, if they had been to Tubat. Had, had they seen? 
Have they really seen you know, what is actually happening here? I, I, I don't know how anybody who benefits, who stands on the shoulders of our ancestors' struggle against Jim Crow, against segregation, could see what is happening right now, could see the bombs being dropped, 9,000 people dead, an ungodly number of them children in service of Jim Crow and segregation, which we have exploited, and be okay with that. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. So yes, I have my fears. I do. I do. I'm, you know, I'm afraid right now, sitting here talking to you. But I have to measure my fear against the misery that I saw. I have to measure my fear against the promises that I made to the Palestinians who welcomed me into their homes and gave me the facts, to the Israeli Jews who welcomed me into their homes and gave me the facts, to the Holocaust survivors who welcomed me into their homes and gave me the facts. I have to measure it against my own ancestors, against Frederick Douglass, against Ida B. Wells, who certainly faced off against things that were much, much more perilous than going someplace, coming back and telling people what you saw. This is the minimum. It's scary, but, uh, but it's also the minimum. And the fact that people are trying to suppress speech is not an excuse for you not to speak. It's always been this way for black writers and journalists. This is our tradition, you know? And so I, I feel, as I, as I do feel the fear, I also feel that I am in good company because I'm in the company of my ancestors. Well, Tanahasi, I want to ask you about the way in which this conflict is, in fact, being represented uh, in the media. And as, as you pointed out, politicians, Congress members, uh, but also the White House. On Monday, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre compared pro-Palestinian protesters to the white supremacists who took part in the deadly yeah, Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. She made the comment in response to a question from Fox News' Peter Ducey. Doesn't Biden think the anti-Israel protesters in this country are extremists? What I can say is what we've been very clear about this. When it comes to anti-Semitism, there is no place. We have to make sure that we speak against it very loud uh, and, be, uh, and be very clear about that. Remember, what the president decided to, when the president decided to run for president is what he saw in Charlottesville in 2017. When we, he saw uh, neo-Nazis marching down the streets of Charlottesville uh, with vile, anti-Semitic, uh, just hatred. And he was very clear then, and he's very clear now. Uh, he's taken actions against this over the past two years, and he's continued to be clear. There is no place, no place for this type of vile and despite, despite this, this kind of rhetoric. So Tanahasi quotes, that's White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Your response? You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to personalize this. I, I'm, I'm sure... Um... She's a very, you know, nice person and, you know, a very, very kind person. But um, you see, all of us stand on the shoulders of Martin Luther King. All of us stand on the shoulders of, of, of the nonviolent struggle. And on King's birthday, the White House, like it's done for years, stands up and, you know, it uh, praises Dr. King and it talks about Dr. King as our modern day prophet. Um, I don't know how these people do that and sleep at night. I, I don't know how you compare people who are trying to stop a war, who are very much in the tradition of nonviolence, who are trying to stop bombs being dropped, literally, on refugee camps to neo-Nazi 
protesters. Uh, it's, 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 it's disgraceful, to use her own words. It's disgraceful. It's reprehensible. Um, it is offensive, as far as I am concerned, to the shoulders on, on, who, on, on those whom we stand right now. Um, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I, I would extend this further. I mean, I, I think um, hearing President Biden himself, and here I will personalize it, downplay uh, 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 the number of, of Palestinian deaths, to say that he doesn't believe the Palestinians, I, I just, when his own State Department was citing those figures only months ago, you know, I, there is, a, at, at, at some point, you know, there's that, that, that saying, when people show you who they are, you have to believe them. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to do the polit- political calculus on this. And I think at a certain point, we have to just stop and say they, they believe it. They believe it. They believe bombs should be dropped on children. They just think it's okay. They think it's okay. Or at the very least, they think it's the price of doing business. Um, that's not an ethic I can align myself from. Because if I, as I've said several times in this interview, I come from a history where people once made the exact same calculus about us and took stances that we would now say are immoral. But see, the test isn't what you did in the past. The test is what you do in the moment right now. I'm a writer. I, I would be much more comfortable. I was working on you know, a book about this. Um, I would be much more comfortable sitting at home writing about this before I'm here talking to you guys right now. It is not my nature to talk about things that I have not written about yet. Um, but one has to balance one's responsibility against the suffering, against the death, against the body count. And, and to see what is coming out of this White House um, right now is just, is just it's morally reprehensible. I, I, again, I, I don't know how, how people sleep at night. You've been talking about Dr. King, um, his daughter, uh, Dr. Bernice King, who heads the King Center lawyer, um, uh, Martin Luther King's youngest daughter, responded to a post by the comedian Amy Schumer, who shared a video of Dr. Mm. King condemning anti-Semitism and defending Israel's right to exist. Bernice King Mm. wrote, quote, Certainly my father was against anti-Semitism. He also believed militarism, along with racism and poverty, to be among the interconnected triple evils. I am certain he would call for Israel's bombing of Palestinians to cease, Dr. Bernice King said. And so if you could comment on this and also talk about um, how— the issue of Palestinians, the occupied territories, the occupation, um, has been raised in the black community, the movement for black lives, for years now. And the pressure you come under when you do. Yeah, and, and, and look, I, I think it's very, very important to talk about the force of anti-Semitism in history, indeed in American history, uh, in, in fact. Um, it's, it's a very, very, very real thing. And I don't think you can understand the events of the moment without understanding, you know, that. And, and, and I think over the past uh, few, few weeks, especially, much has been made about the, the uh, historic alliance between uh, black folks and, and, and Jewish activists and Jewish folks and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and it's, it's a very, very real thing. It's a very, very important thing. But I think like any alliance, it is, it is, it is at its best when it grounds itself in moral principle. Um, not in a kind of gang truce, not in a kind of I had your back, so you'll have mine. Um, a moral alliance that is transactional is actually, in fact, not a moral alliance. 
And we have always been at our best. When, you know, when I think about uh, uh, the Jewish civil rights workers who went south and put their bodies on the line for the civil rights movement, um, I like to think, and I think it's true, that that was not a transactional arrangement. That was not you know, an attempt to say, look, I'm, I'm doing this because I think you'll have my back in the future. They did it because it was right. They did it based on principle. And so, you know, I think some of the frustration um, that certain, certain people feel about the lack of anti, uh, about the lack of uh, uh, African-American support uh, for this war comes from this notion that, that, that we should have people's back as they drop bombs to try to defend a segregationist apartheid regime. We shouldn't do that. And we haven't done that. That, that's the history that, that you allude to. I mean, going back to Angela Davis, to SNCC, to Black Lives Matter, I, I, I stand here, or I sit here very, very humbly as, as, as a latecomer to the cause, but, you know, someone who has come to the cause, of, um, nonetheless, uh, we have to stand on principle, man. We have to stand on principle. And if I'm a latecomer to the Palestinian cause, I'm also a latecomer to the cause of nonviolence, but I'm here now, you know, and, and, and knowing what that has meant to our history, you know, there is no way in the world that we can leverage the memory, Dr. Martin Luther King, there's no way in the world we can leverage uh, the weight, the ancestry of our movement in defense of a war, in defense of indiscriminate bombings or refugee. We just, we can't do that. We can't do that. We would be a disgrace to, to, to our ancestors. Tanahasi, last night, just uh, uh, to end, you said... Um We've just spoken about the fact that it was so difficult for uh, the Palestine uh, Festival of Literature to find a venue for last night's event. Uh, your own books here in the U.S. Uh, have faced book bans, uh, and yours aren't the only ones, of course. But you've said that when people resort to these measures, book banning, limiting public discussions, these are weapons of a weak and a decaying order. Could you explain what you mean by that and why there is, uh, despite the horror of the moment, some scope for optimism? Well, I, I think if you, uh, and, and, and a lot of this is, you know, actually from my time talking to Rash, Rashid Khalidi and uh, Professor Rashid Khalidi up at, up at Columbia, and one of the points he made, um, you know, I came back from uh, Palestine and, I, you know, I just was glass-eyed. I didn't understand. I, I've, you know, I had this deep-seated feeling that, 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 in fact, I had been lied to. And I, I began consulting people and talking to people. And so I got to spend some time with, with uh, Professor Khalidi. And, and one of the things he said to me was, never has the movement, this is somebody who's been you know, fighting this war for his entire life, he said, never has the movement been as powerful as it is right now. And I had, you know, I had to take that in. I also have to take in the fact that like when I think about what I did not know and when I did not know, it wasn't that I had competing sources and I didn't know what to turn. The way I think Americans have traditionally, up until very recently, we have you know, ten saw seconds, this struggle. Sure, I'm sorry about that. Um, I will just say that uh, I'm very optimistic about uh, the fight, and I think we're going to win. I'll leave it there. Tanahasi Coates, acclaimed writer, National Book Award winner, spoke at an event last night organized by a Palestine Festival of Literature here in New York. We will link to the live stream. Before we end this update from Gaza, the Palestinian Waha news agency is reporting at least 27 people were killed today in an Israeli bombing of an UNRWA school in the Jabalia refugee camp, the largest refugee camp in Gaza. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh.